Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. Hopefully, after you hear Andy pouring some beautiful, beautiful coffee into his mug, what what are you <laughs> oh, drinking? Man, that's good. This is Tim's. Is this Ethiopian? Tim? Yeah, this, this is really good. So, listeners, Tim doesn't do this for everybody because his capacity is low, but uh, his Ethiopian is just delightful. It's really good. But this is my second cup today. My first cup was Ruby Roasters from Luke Tanis. Luke, shout out! Thanks again for unofficial the sponsors. And, and it was uh, a Peruvian and Colombian blend. So. Beautiful. And uh, I was drinking a little bit of that out of my Brick House Coffee Co. mug. And so also an unofficial sponsor, as well as mm-hmm. Porchlight Coffee House here at Ankeny. How are you guys doing? I'm well yourself. I am well. I am doing fantastic. Oh, darn it. I'm, I missed it. What? Tim said, I am well. And the first thought that popped in my mind was, I'm well too. And then like a half second after that was, Hi, well, nice to meet you. I'm oh, Charlie. You could have dad joked him. Oh man, <laughs> but I'm not a dad, so that, that's okay. Oh, my daughter, I rolled me this morning. <gasps> it was hilarious. That is successful discipleship. <laughs> what What was the context of that? She like <laughs> Charlie. I just heard. I heard it in my mind. It took two seconds. Like that is discipleship. <laughs> what is, What happened to him? Horrendous. <laughs> she said the other day that she wanted to get up at like 5 a.m. And my wife just looked at her like, you are not getting up at 5 a.m. And so like the last two mornings, I've woken her up and I said, it's past 5 a.m. And it's like 7.30 or 8 o'clock. So it's like way past 5 a.m. And this morning, she just looked at me and I rolled me. <laughs> and I told her it's past 5 a.m. It's like light out and 7.30. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so good. I just love the fact that your own kids are eye rolling you. That is like beautiful. <laughs> Evan puns me. Your kids eye roll you. This is good. This is horrendous. Good awesome. And so here's what's in this episode. We are going to have a handful of announcements here. We are going to interact with an email that we received over the mm-hmm. weekend. And then I guess it might have been yesterday, so not next necessarily the weekend. We are going to do that thing we always do, talk about some books. And then in the main content of the episode, <clears throat> we have some reading thoughts from Sertelanges, Sertelange, which... <laughs> Thank you for pronouncing the way we did before we knew the French pronunciation. Yes, Charlie. which which good. you can see in the title is certified. So with an S, Certalanges, certified mm. reading thoughts. And then we'll have a final meditation in God's word from Proverbs 2. Cue the whoosh sound. Whoosh. All right. So here's some announcements. A couple of fun things. We had some really good announcements this week. So as we sit today, we are on a perfect streak. Two for two. Two for two. <laughs> Where we had a Electronic Inc. a blog post on Friday about cars and death that I posted and that got featured in a la carte on, was it Saturday? Monday. It was Monday. Tim Challies' oh, Monday a la carte. It's not, he doesn't do yep. that over the weekend. He has, he has like, a weekend a la carte, but yeah. yeah. So it was like Monday, buddy. And so Monday we had uh, that feature, which was really cool. It was really awesome. It's the first blog I've ever wrote. So I think I'm going to stop. I think, you know, we're just going to be done. <laughs> You're batting a thousand, man. You should totally do that. And but. then not to be outdone, Thinkling Stearns <laughs> posted over the weekend as well. And that was featured in Tuesday's a la carte. And so if you want to, you know, go to those links and click on them just for the fun of it, you can go to challies.com and yeah. find his a la carte from Monday and Tuesday and find our things there. He's been really kind. And, and I, I like how, I do like how he's trying to promote Christian blogging. That yes. is a really good, and, and we want people to write. And so I think that's just. Electronic inking. Electronic inking. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds. It's so wordy. It is wordy. It, it's not as catchy. Yeah. But. It's, been, it's been nice to see our stuff because listeners, we're not just trying to self-aggrandize here, but we really do want to write and provide content that's yeah. helpful and beneficial. And so that's just really encouraging. And I would just tell you, like, go, go read Charlie's thing. He wrote it. It was encouraging to me. So that was yeah. really great. And I think. And I, I don't remember if we mentioned this on a previous episode or not, but that was written without the intention of being posted. Yeah. It was a Google Doc. I was yep. sitting at a Saturday afternoon at work mm-hmm. and just had some thoughts running through my mind because my car had gotten fixed. Mm-hmm. I drove that car to the, the feature of the article, the Impala. I drove it to work that day and I was thinking about it and I wrote that and sent it just to Andy. And uh, it, it, And it's fun to see... Uh, 
that is a part of our friendship yeah. in writing together, but then also as a benefit to others, which is also true of your article, which yeah. uh, I do enjoy reading through your thoughts as mm-hmm. you've gone through uh, this valley. And yeah. Um, yeah. God doesn't owe me kindness. Are you going to do content on that sometime? I do think so. Okay. I think it would, because because we're, you're, I think the distinction in my mind that was so helpful was the difference between kindness and goodness. Yeah. Not that they're, not that they're mutually exclusive. So I do think that'd be worth talking about sometime, but it's been gratifying to see some people quote the article. Um, I'll just share one thing that's been like encouraging to me. So Peter Witkowski is the widower who lost his wife about a year before I did. And he's written some stuff that's been very encouraging to me. He shared it today and he just quoted a part. And I thought it was cool because I think it's you, 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 you follow the Lord, you fear the Lord, you try to grow in the Lord. And then he uses you to encourage other people. And then it's sometimes the same people who encouraged you to begin with. So it's just, it's been nice. So readers, if you write, don't think that's nothing like put, put effort into it. I tell my students this all the time. If you if you like to write, hone that skill. Not everyone does. And that can be a way you can serve the Lord. And on that note, I did add this announcement. We did receive notification through the Lord of the bookstore, also the head of faith publications. <laughs> I almost spit coffee all over you, Charlie. <laughs> The Lord of the bookstore. The Lord of the bookstore. That uh, the 12 discipleship questions, uh, you know, title pending, is approved for publication through Faith Publications. And later this year, we'll see that. And that's really fun, too. So. That is so exciting. I think that's probably the most exciting of the announcements that your book is going to get published and it's going to be a resource. And well, in, in the background of it, that you know might be missed on a lot of the people, but well, we're going to share it. I want to share it. I think it's so important and valuable or, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but the, the, the article about my dad and the car is that was posted on the anniversary of his death, which was also the day that the publication of 12 discipleship questions was approved. So, and I called my mom and, you know, I was driving to a haircut. I called my mom and said, Hey, here's some fun things. And just, she's, your dad would be so proud. And, uh, you know, it is interesting to think about, I, I really hadn't done any writing or any, the, the, the thinklings had not yet formed no. in the lifetime of my father. And it's interesting to, th- to think about how he would respond to some of these things. Yeah. And, uh, I do think he would, uh, be an avid listener and, uh, and I think he, uh, he certainly embodied the point of that book that if you will humble yourself to the word mm. of God, God will transform mm. you. Yep. And my dad was an aroma in our community. And so it's, it's a cool testimony uh, to him that I think that I got to see that lived out in his life. So yeah, an, a, a fun memorial there that uh, what could be a day of great grief and sadness yeah. yep. in the gospel uh, and through the thinklings is actually a great day of joy yeah. where we commemorate a lot of things now. And so anyway, do we have I, any more announcements or are we ready to move to the next thing? I just want to say, I think it's really cool that the way God works in your life to encourage you that way yeah. to where like six years later on the day, like this is happening and it's something he would have loved. And yeah. I just think it's cool when God does stuff like that. So that's all I want to say. And I think that was all we need for the announcements. And and not to be missed as well. I did <clears> see a lot of uh, members from my former church uh, reading and messaging me yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, I don't get called pastor Carter much anymore. But when I do get those messages, I, I cherish them and because they they knew my father, so that they get to read about him and they remember who he was. So it, that's really cool. Whoosh. Let's move on to some listener feedback. Tim, do you want to kind of queue up that email? Uh, sure. We um, we've had a lot of people write in recently. Thanks for writing in. We do read those. Uh, we don't. We can't always reply to everyone or mention it on the podcast. But um, I think we've had like seven people write in the last week. Uh, the one we wanted to particularly mention. Uh, thanks, Zach, for writing in about Doug Brown's episode uh, where we went through. Um, well, basically, Doug seeking to honor his parents and his wife's parents, and how that was a very difficult journey. Uh, so Zach, you've been a great source of encouragement uh, to several people and uh, a great example also of honoring your parents. And I uh, just really appreciated that listener feedback and writing in and um, sharing what you shared there. Yeah, I was really blessed to read that, Zach. And, uh, you know, I think he actually would have known my dad too uh, over there in Washington. But, yeah. 
He's been an encouraging listener for a long time. Last year, you know, when it was really hard with Robin and I, we were going through the deep waters. He was reaching out just in a really encouraging way because he had walked a road too. So mm-hmm. that's another thing where it's like you encourage people and they encourage you and it's wonderful. Like your comfort is used by God to comfort others. What? In their affliction. We should write that down. Is that written Man, down? If anymore? I was going to write an epistle, <laughs> that might be in the first so chapter horrendous. of my second letter. That was a, do you see the eye roll? That was like a I theological eye roll of epic it. purport. You could you could feel the eye roll. All right. That's let, like our listeners too. <laughs> we we have some thinklings business to tend to. Why don't, books and business. But why don't you explain too? It's in Second Corinthians chapter one. Yeah, yeah. You gotta just lay it out. Some people, you know, gotta put it on the lower shelf. No, we speak in parables. Right, anyway. <laughs> so listener, this week we're gonna do weekly wisdom and it's a Bible verse. So I was reading I'm working through First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus in my personal reading. Those are my I would say my favorite books of the Bible in the New Testament. <clears throat> and so in verse 18 of chapter one, it, uh, he says this, he says, this charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And what I want to key in is verse 19, which is what he says next. He says, holding the faith or holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith among who are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You might think, what in the world kind of weekly wisdom is this, Stearns? Well, I think what jumped out at me is the idea of holding the faith and also a good conscience. So in your walk with God, it is not just about having the correct doctrine. It is, though. It's not less than that. I'm not saying that. But you also have to walk with the Lord and have a clean conscience. And I think that today in our in our day where people are air quote deconstructing or apostatizing, walking away, so many times it's that you you knew what God wanted, but you didn't take the time to humble yourself and be sanctified. And so there are people with great ministries, and they really did have great ministries, but they didn't attend to their soul, and their soul's conscience was broken, and then it, they end up shipwrecking their faith. And so it's it's just a you may not think you're super intellectual. You may not think you know a lot of theology, but honestly, walking with the Lord and having a clean conscience, I think is the first step you should focus on. And then those of you who are in ministry and are like walking with the Lord and are serving, remember to attend to your conscience too, because you don't want to shipwreck your faith. So that'd be the quick weekly wisdom. All right. Do you want to say that thing again? Yeah, you're <laughs> muted. You have to unmute yourself. Books and business. Love it. <laughs> love it so All right, much. I'll go first. So this is hopefully quick. I was reading recently in the introduction to uh, the Odyssey in Robert Fagel's translation, uh, Introduction and Notes by Bernard Knox. How did you know to pick the Fagel translation? Well, Dr. Dr. Boyd, friend Ooh. of the podcast, there was the go. one that turned me on to that. There in we fact, go. And uh, so it's just a quick thought that I, I've read through this before, the introduction, and just maybe missed this. So he talks about this guy, Milman Perry. And so he's talking about like, how do they decipher all of these like seeming textual oddities and differences in the Odyssey, like these you know, different copies and things like that? The answer, and you know, it's answering to like, why are there differences in language and some seems really early and late and the terminology that gets used is a problem they're trying to solve. The answer was supplied by an American scholar whose name was Milman Perry. Perry, who came from California and was an assistant professor at Harvard when he was killed in a when he was killed in a gun accident at an early age, did his most significant work in Paris. In fact, he wrote it in French and published it in Paris in 1928. It did not appear in English until 1971 when translated by his son, Adam Perry. It formed part of a collection of all the, his Homeric studies. His work was not appreciated or even fully understood until long after his death in 1935, but once understood, it completely changed the terms of the problem. So one, I thought it was really neat that here's this guy, who writes something and it doesn't really get recognized until, you know, half century after his death, which is yeah. really cool. What he came up with was this idea that originally the Odyssey, it's, it's bards. They're like singing and telling the story and it's also lyrical. So if you go way back in the Thinklings podcast, we talked about dactyls and spondies with oh, Dr. Yeah. Boyd and there's a meter to this epic poetry 
And what they would come up with is these stock phrases. So when the bard would improvise the story, and he knew that to match the hexameter of his poem, he had to end in a certain amount of syllables. So in certain cases of Greek, dative, genitive, nominative, there are different descriptors put to like Odysseus or these regions. And it's um, these vestiges of this collection of poetry that the bards would have had in the bank of their mind so that when they would improvise the story, they would know how to end a phrase and still maintain the meter. And it's a really cool idea that solves the problem of like, oh no, we've got like all these redactors and multiple authors. It's, well, you do, but it's not that they edited it after the fact. It's that bards for hundreds of years came up with this stockpile of phrases so that when they told the story, they could improvise and then still end in the appropriate meter. Mm. It's a fascinating idea. And I just think it's really cool. And and so Millman Perry with the, uh, this awesome idea, uh, one, it encourages me that I can write something now and it might not ever be recognized in my life, but it could be valuable later because it's, you know, good. Uh, but also it really helped me understand as I think about the Odyssey, like what's going on as hundreds of traditions of how to tell the story got boiled down into one writing. So an interesting uh, historical and academic note there on the Odyssey. I think that's interesting because you said there's not multiple authors just because the style's different. Well, like there, it so doesn't demand I do that. think that there is someone Homer who mm-hmm. collected this and, sure. and put the stories together but then in his writing of the story, you see these <clears throat> relics of many bards who told the story. And there's like the, it's the phrase he used, like a stockpile of hmm. phrases. That's really So that when they were, they didn't have a written manuscript to tell the story from, they would just stand up in the hall and they're telling the story of Odysseus. And as they improvise the story and they're keeping track of meter, they're like, oh, I've got X syllables left. So instead of using the nominative stock phrase, I'm going to use the dative, which that is shorter crazy. or longer. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating idea that Perry doesn't get recognized for, for a really long time because he published it in Paris in French and it took 50 <laughs> years for people to figure out what he did. That's so crazy. So, super cool. We should have Dr. Boyd come and talk about it. Seriously. It would be very thrilling. Seriously. Anyway, that's it for me. Uh, so I finished reading Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. The author is Rosaria Butterfield. And I really, really like this book. Uh, I think that our daughters particularly need to read it. I'd put this, uh, I'm going to put this on a, I'm going to make this a nine on the Thinkling's goodness scale. Like, I think it's something that needs to be read on multiple occasions simply because uh, the world keeps communicating lots of information about feminism and uh, intersectionality. And well, let's just admit she's got it right. Okay. She states on page 188. (laughs) That's so good. Feminism lies. Okay. I mean, it's a lie. Uh, she specifically states, lie number three, that feminism is good. It isn't. It's destroying our churches, and it's a lie, and we need to reject it. So um, she is, in this book, she's not really, um, <clears throat> she's really saying, listen, these people are communicating a different gospel, which guess what a different gospel is? It's a different religion. And feminism is a religion, and it's, it's gospel-less. So what is the gospel? And if our, if, if, uh, if an author is not communicating the gospel, then they are communicating a false religion. And so let's call it what it is. So um, anyway, she really, uh, we'll see where Rosaria Butterfield goes, how many more books she's able even to publish, because in this one, uh, she just pulls no punches. Uh, she talks about uh, Preston Sprinkle, who is on the conservative side of the, uh, uh, what shall we say, the, uh, the entire intersectionality, CRT, and um, homosexual conversation. Uh, so he would be more on the conservative side, and she basically says, yeah, he's a heretic. Wow. Um, so she uses pretty strong language. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Uh, he co-authored a book with Francis Chan, Uh, The title was Erasing Hell, What God Said About Eternity and the Things We've Made Up. 
Okay, so basically this was an argument for the uh, hell being an eternal judgment um, and everlasting punishment, uh, which is not very a favorable view in our current culture, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, loving mm -hmm. and kind God would send people to a place of eternal punishment. And so um, people have been wondering, hey, Preston, have you changed your view because you're not seeming to say the same thing that you did in the book, Erasing Hell. And so there's a quote here. Some people ask me if I've changed my view since writing Erasing Hell. My short answer is no. Since Francis Chan and I devoted two pages to the duration of hell in our book, and since we leaned toward the traditional view of eternal conscious torment, any change that I've made has to do with 2% of the stuff we're talking about in the book. Sometimes change is seen as a bad thing. But quite honestly, I hope that every theologian would change at least 2% of what they've written about in all their books. If they haven't changed, I wonder if they're still studying the topic. Well, that's like, that's like an assumption that you have to change to be true. Right. Okay. I mean, we're not omniscient, but we could actually know and be taught truth from a young age. Right. That's so not if good. somebody says, I've changed my view, he's going to say, from what he said in, in uh, Erasing How, he's going to say, no. But guess what? He has changed the two percent. The two percent, and what does the two percent concern? Hell, yeah. The specific, <laughs> the specific. That's like point. a bit of okay. a talking out of both sides of your mouth, right it there. It is. That's it's, like really equivocative. It, it is okay. So let me just say, my short answer is no. I haven't changed because I haven't changed the ninety-eight percent. Okay. I devoted two pages to the devotion duration of hell in our book, and since we leaned toward the traditional view of eternal conscious torment, any change that I've made has to do with the 2% of hmm. the stuff that we talked about. So guess what? He has changed his view on. <laughs> hell. Hell. It's like, like the eternal conscious torment, yeah. okay? And he's like, but that was only two pages of the entire book, okay? But yeah, that was you guys were responding to another yeah. book yeah and you wrote this book to say that it was eternal conscious torment and now guess what he's changed but it's only two percent so he says he hasn't changed that's like when planned parenthood says abortions are only three percent of what we do but it's like 97 percent of actually what's Which, taking place yeah, it's just there's three percent of, of your book. services that's right. like that's like uh statistics being used to shroud and ob so then, obscure things this is what butterfield has to say about it Ooh. okay Sprinkle is feigning humility, but truly, if every theologian changed the core truths of the Christian faith in their books by 2%, well, we would all end up where Sprinkle is. <laughs> if you can't trust Sprinkle on what the scriptures call an elementary principle, see Hebrews 6, 1, then you can't trust him on anything. Okay? I mean, this gets into how she's even communicating and talking to, about these people. He is a scoffer, she's treating him like a scoffer, and she's ripping him. And she's saying, don't read his stuff. Okay, David C. Cook, publisher. Mm -hmm. All right, an another of the evangelical presses. Man. And what is, what is she saying? Yep. Okay, goodbye. Yep. Like, you're, you're gone. You've, this is, I feel like right now, our current cultural moment is, is like from the 1920s, you had the liberalism, fundamentalism conversation. I feel like we may be living through something like that right now. I would agree. And yep. everything is about yep. to just bust apart. Yep. So I've been thinking yeah. about doing a content on that or even writing some blog post on it sometime. Yeah. And just to, to quote a friend of mine named Michael, who always says, to make a long story longer, like, that's why publishing houses that are conservative and actually hold to God's word are so mm -hmm. important these days. Right. And if our, if everything in the, in the, in the book publishing realm waters down like this, like we're going to need people who are actually going to like mm -hmm. stand on truth and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, you've got Kriegel and you've got Crossway and then yeah. all of the major ones, you know, they're, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. Right. But a lot of them are very sympathetic to egalitarianism, but Tyndale and uh, Zondervan, they've been gone. Yeah. Thomas Nelson, you know, forget it. Um, IVP. IVP is way, way gone. And Baker's. Baker's gone. There, I, I got their academic catalog the other day, and I thought, great, 80% of this, I, I wouldn't. It's just not even Christian. Just yeah. like, you know, that Eve is an evil book. It's not yeah. Christian. It's a different religion. Okay, so you're not evangelical. So if you are publishing stuff, and you say you're an evangelical press, it should be gospel. Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. Charlie, how many chili pepper emojis would you give that spicy quote from Rosario Butterfield? On a scale of one to what? 
however many you want. I don't know. You're the you're the so spice one to five. It's like a I was three. Say one it's to not five. That high. Oh, I was gonna Pretty say spicy. Yeah. Okay. okay. And what I always say when uh, I mean this probably happened like five times in the history, but in our church van, whenever Rosaria Butterfield comes up, which she has come up, I say not to be confused with Buttersworth. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So I'm, I'm like super busy in life, but I'm still trying to read. And so I'm still working through this momentary marriage, which if you've actually seen the book, you're going to be like Stearns, what is taking you so long? I have no time to read, but the so other day, short. I know it's like a tiny book. I'm like a professor. This is horrible, but I've got 585 emails to respond to in my inbox. And, <clears throat> but I did find something, a nugget that I think is beneficial. So part of his structure in this book is that marriage is a covenant which is really, it went totally along with Wenham's discussion we had the other day. And then the other element, he said, there's two big aspects of marriage. It's forgiving and forbearance, forgiveness and forbearance. And so there's the idea of like, you're working with a sinner and you're going to forgive and forbear their faults. Um, but then he said, he, he, he's recognizing how, if you're not walking, he, he would say, I'll say it this way. If you're not walking in the spirit, in the fear of the Lord, even being forgiving and forbearing can be an occasion for you to use that manipulatively. And so he says this, he says, listen to how these verses take us beyond forgiveness and forbearance in the way husbands are to love their wives. And then he quotes Ephesians, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her from the washing of the water and the word so that he might present her to, to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Um, in Christ's relationship to the church, he is clearly seeking transformation of his bride into something morally and spiritually beautiful. Now, he goes down and he says, next heading is treading on dangerous ground. He says, I realize at this point, no matter how I come at this, I'm treading on dangerous ground. I could be playing right into the hands of a selfish, small-minded, controlling husband who has no sense of the difference, of difference between enriching differences and between, between him and his wife and moral and spiritual weaknesses or defects that should be changed. Such a man may distort what I am saying into a mandate to control every facet of his wife's behavior. And the criteria of what he seeks to change will be his own selfish desires cloaked in spiritual language. This is no laughing matter. I have had to deal with husbands who were pathological in their understanding of their wife's submission. One woman told me as we were sorting through their dysfunctional relationship that her husband demands that she get permission for going to the bathroom. I'm not making this up. Certain kinds of minds seem unable to bring many truths to bear on a relationship at one time. They're small, narrow, sick minds. They oversimplify, they distort, they ruin. I pray nothing that I say will be used by them to justify their sin. And I thought that was a really great, um, I would say like to quote Charlie, like a caveat Yeah. because you can like, if you like humility, we talked about a lot about that. If you're not humble, you can use the scripture in a manipulative way. And I just appreciated that he gave this good clarifying statement because in a book on marriage, his thought is like, you're gonna have one spouse looking at the other spouse and seeing sin. And he's like, you need to look at your own self and see the sin and not use it to manipulate. So anyways, little book, but like pretty big statement so far, and I'm loving it. Awesome. And so here's what's coming up in this episode. We are going to talk through a portion of Sertayage where he talks about reading and mainly focus on these four types of reading that he had us think about and uh, hope you are encouraged or challenged by those four types of reading. And then after that, we'll have a quick uh, final thought in God's word from Thinkling Stearns over here. We hope you enjoy the main content of the episode. Let's have a conversation about how to read. All right. So we have mentioned dozens and dozens of times on the podcast, a book titled The Intellectual Life, Its Spirit, Conditions, and Methods by A.G. Sertayange. This first came up with the thinklings as Andy was studying and this was a uh, required reading for him in a course on aesthetics, if I remember right. Yeah. You might be muted. <laughs> this was for like introduction to PhD studies sure. and it was how to be an intellectual, but that was right before my aesthetic theology Very good. class. Wasn't this our first book? Habits of the, 
Oh, was it was our, no, this was our first book. This was, right. I think, our first book so as we started getting together. When we officially together. met and started Going reading. Going back into the annals of history, we used to get together and we would have read a couple of chapters. We might read together and we would talk about it before we even recorded anything. So this is like 2018 zone. That's a long time ago. And so I got that book as a part of that. And then I didn't ever finish it. I mentioned a few weeks ago, I actually finished it now. I came back to it. And then, uh, so what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to focus in on a latter section of the book where he talks about how to read. And then before I do that, I'm just going to broadly kind of walk through uh, general takeaways from the book. So first, who is A.G. Sertiange? He's a French Catholic who lives in the 1800s. He died in the 1940s. And the reason I bring that up is that he could have and probably did as a French Catholic, interact with the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Uh, I, I would actually, I would say it's probably more favorable or probable than not that as a very famous Catholic, he might, and Tolkien wasn't really famous at the time, but you know, France, London, you know, they're not that far apart. He probably could have interacted with some of the, those writings. Um, he probably would have been less favorable to C.S. Lewis. Uh, so could he be like, you know, an unofficial inkling of the time? You know, I don't know. But anyway, he definitely wasn't officially, but they probably could have read each other. Did he know English? I don't know. I don't know. Wee oui, wee. Oui, I don't know. <laughs> Overall, oui. uh, I think his... I'm sorry. Horrendous. I'm, I'm done. Overall, I'm it's worth consideration for all students who want to have an intellectual life. So someone who is a student, a writer, whatever, an intellectual. And I think every Christian should have an intellectual part of them. They have a mind that they should address. And so I think this is valuable in general for about everybody. Uh, specific you know, study, maybe not for everybody, for the average Joe, but I do think it's worth your time. And I think the most worthy part of the book is the section on reading that we're going to get to today. And so hopefully this helps you understand what you might get if you purchase it and read through it. Um, it, it is challenging because it is a translation from French. And so you have to, when we get a quippy turn of phrase, you know, we, we aren't really grabbing all of the quote just because we're, you know, a couple separations, uh, degrees of separation away. Um, but overall, here are some really helpful general points in the book. Early on, right away, he talks about the calling of an intellectual. So I just, I'm going to read two quotes, which I've mentioned before, but I think they're good quotes. So the calling of an intellectual, it implies a serious resolution. The life of study is austere and imposes grave obligations. It pays, it pays richly, but it exacts an initial outlay that few are capable of. The athletes of the mind like those of the playing field, must be prepared for privation, long training, and sometimes superhuman tenacity. We must give ourselves from the heart, if truth is to give itself to us. Truth serves only its slaves. That's page four. And then just a few pages beyond that, also talking about the calling of an intellectual. The jingling bells of publicity tempt only frivolous minds. Ambition offends eternal truth by subordinating truth to itself page six. So he has some Ooh. great thoughts about the calling of an intellectual early on in the book. He moves on to some practical matters about uh, simplifying your life. And then later on how to like track what you're doing. A couple quotes on simplicity, which I thought was a general uh, nice takeaway. Uh, One word suggests itself here before any other. You must simplify your life. Page 41. That's how you organize things. You have to simplify as an intellectual. And then probably one of my favorite quotes in the book is the very next page. When one thinks of a man of genius, one does not imagine him dining out. So when you think about a true intellectual, someone who has a life of, of their mind, they're not out partying. They're in their office. They're in the books. They're reading. They're writing. You know, so your imagination is helpful when you picture what Sertayange is trying to steer you towards. Hmm. Uh, later on in the book, he has some great thoughts on your memory and how to take notes. Uh, he has a quote uh, on page 175 that uh, if you're not willing to write it down in a sense, he's like, you're assigning it to oblivion. Like if you're not willing to take good notes, you're never going to remember what you need to remember. And so uh, that, that's a good practical part of the book. And then the last thing I'm going to get to is the reading where he's going to talk about how reading is really important. Did you have a thought? I just want to say, and I'm not trying to break your flow here. 
this guy is one of the most quotable guys yeah. of anyone that we've read. He's like assigning it to oblivion if you don't write it down. That's just all right. Carry on. I just had to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's I I don't have the full quote in my notes here, so it's actually kind of funny that I didn't <laughs> I didn't write the quote down, and so I don't know what it is without turning to it. So anyway, so the part of the book that I think is accessible to everyone and worth everyone's time is his section on reading. And he, he talks about reading good books and inter- interacting with uh, intellectual giants all throughout the book. So he, a community, a fellowship of, of good thinkers, he, he hits that all over, but he's going to specifically come to reading books at the end. And so this is the section that I think is practically helpful for everyone, which is why we're mentioning it on the podcast. Uh, so what does he say about reading? Uh, introductory, he says, reading is the universal means of learning. It is the proximate or remote preparation for every kind of production. Quite simply, if you don't read, you won't have a life of the mind. You won't. You won't think correctly. You will probably wander in your thought and you will almost never produce anything for others if you don't read following that quote. So the first one was on page 145. He then says this, it is therefore on 146, a primordial necessity for the man of study to know how to read and to utilize his reading. And it, and would to heaven that people were habitually oblivious to the fact. So, uh, we need to know how to read and people just don't get it. (laughs) Uh, so He's going to come up with four rules for learning, or not for learning, for reading. Four rules for reading, starting on page 146, moving through the next, you know, five to ten pages. And that's what we're going to look at. So his first rule is on page 146, and the rule is to read. I just read the, read little. Read little. So we need to read Song of Songs for singles. That's not what he's saying. (laughs) So. Oh, come on. So read little. So what does he mean when he says read little? And. So to f- read that quote fully on page 146, we have to be careful that we don't misunderstand what he's saying. So on 146, he says about reading little, what we are prescribing is the passion for reading. And if you're a pagan American like me, you're like, wait, you're prescribing a passion for reading? That's not what he's saying. This is where you have to pause and read carefully. There is a difference in the English language between the word prescribe and proscribe. To prescribe something is to advise it, to recommend it in a positive sense. To proscribe is to forbid it. So what is he forbidding is passionate reading. Oh, that's awesome. You should not, and I'm going to read the rest of the quote. (laughs) To read little is not uh, reading everything you want. He forbids the passion for reading, the uncontrolled habit, the poisoning of the mind by excess of mental food, the laziness in disguise, which prefers easy familiarity with others' thought to personal effort. Oh, that's good. So reading widely isn't always good. He's saying you need to read little. And he's, what he's identifying is that there's just so many books out there. There's millions of them. You don't want to just read a lot. Of the many or much books that are out there, you need to be discerning of what you should be reading. And so uh, in the vast amount of printed options, the much opportunity to read little is to have discernment. Some books are not worth your time. I was recently on uh, Instagram and there's a lot of people on Instagram that just track what they read. And there was this one account that boasted they read like 400 books in 2023. And they have like this really quick video where they're showing the books they're reading. And quite honestly, I don't think 300 or 350 would be any worth anybody's time. Hmm. It's just the mainstream, you know, romantic, frivolous, you know, whatever. And it, there's no real substance to them. Now, I, I am a huge fan of fiction and I think it is worthy of our time appropriately. But Overall, that person, I think, was just wasting their time. They're, they're boasting how many books they read. They weren't reading little. Yeah. They were reading the much, and it was a waste of their time. It was like binge-watching some kind of a TV series. Yes. Another nice thing about this is if you're not... A, sometimes people look at people who have read a lot of books, 
and they get intimidated. They're like, oh man, they're so well read. I need to do that. And then they probably do what you're saying. They just keep read, 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 read. Yeah. And like even in James Sire's book, How to Read Slowly, he's advocating reading good books slowly and probably consuming them, letting them form you, which I think is going to come up here in a moment. Yeah, it will come up in a moment. So that's good advice, man. That's and really good. We've, it's, it's, I guess I maybe buried the lead here. So AG Certeon, <clears throat> I'm going to call these certified reading rules <gasps> with an S, not a C. This is certified rule number oh, one. You have to read little. That is to, so to good. To cap the thought, he says certified. this on page 147. Instead of that uncontrolled, passionate reading, which we could go down a divergent path here to talk about the idea of passion, it, that Greek term is usually negative. It's not a positive yeah. thing to be passionate. It's never in the Bible, and ever. He, yes. It's always a sin. And Sertayange gets that correct here, that he's saying passion is your enemy for the life of the mind. Instead of reading passionately on 147, we must read intelligently. We must go to books as a housekeeper goes to market when she has settled her menus for the day. So what's the picture? Do you go to the grocery store hungry and buy everything? Oh. Or do you go to the grocery store with a list of what you need? Strategically. And you buy what you need. Ooh. And he's saying to read little is to read what you need to read. Man, that's good. That's yeah. like, there's like dieting um, parallels here, like. You eat all the food in the world, but you yeah. need to eat like what's healthy. Oh, this is good. It's yeah. like a diet for the mind. The next paragraph down, another just really nice quote. The mind is dulled, not fed by an order, <sighs> inordinate reading. And I think that is a great rule for your reading listener, that you need to realize all of the books <clears throat> are not worth your time. Some of the books are worth your time. And a very little amount of books in history are really, truly worth your time. The classics, you know, and I think that's a part of what we try to do here. Why we rank books is when we give like a, you know, a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 to you, you know, some of that is just, you know, folly and fun of like having a scale. Some of it's not where we're like, Hey, this is a really good book. And it's way, a 10 is way more worth your time than a three. Yeah. And, yep. uh, you know, I know if you go on our website, all the lists aren't updated, but if you were to listen to our podcast and Hopefully over time, we, we bear good recommendations yes. of, the, of, of what you should be reading. So that's rule number one, to read intelligently and discerningly, to read little. Rule number two comes up on page 150. And unfortunately, he did not say rule number two, but I think this is his next rule. So rule number two is choose your books. Choose your books. And it's very similar to the first one. But it's, I think, the practical outworking of the first principle. If you are going to read little, you must be intentional about what you choose to read. It shouldn't be some frivolous, like, oh, what's popular these days? Or, oh, what are, you know, the top sellers from, you know, New York Times or Amazon? You should really think and choose your books. So uh, as you choose, what should you be looking for? You should be going to firsts. You should be going to the true origins to the classics, you should be going to the works that stimulate the thought of the other books. And uh, the book, and this is actually Jordan Peterson, a very modern, popular yeah. philosopher would say, the classic of all classics is the Bible. Because there's nothing else that has prompted more writing than the Bible itself. So you should be reading scripture. And then outside of that, you should be reading you know, the great works of history. So why is Homer worth your time? You know, why is a Lord of the Rings worth your mm -hmm. time? They are qualitatively better than most of the other things. And you should think about the titles you choose. That's rule number two. Choose your books. A couple of thoughts here for students. Because a lot of people that listen might be a college student. Students sometimes think that the reading assigned to them by their professors is arbitrary. As if our recommendation isn't thoughtful and specific. And if you were to choose where you went to school, you should choose to trust the recommendations of those professors. And so you should look at those recommendations as very weighty and worth your time. So you prove to think like a fool if you reject the professor's recommendation. Amen. Uh, it demonstrates a very youthful pride to say that my professor doesn't know what I should read. And 
as Sertayange would say, as James Sire would say, as many intellectuals would say, that pride is the very enemy of the intellectual life. If you won't have a humility to accept those recommendations from your teachers, you will probably uh, be more foolish than wise. I had a book my freshman year I tried to read, and I thought it was horrible, and it was dumb. And then I came back here to teach 13 years later, and the book is still in the, the class that I teach. And I dive back in, I'm like, wait, this is actually really good. It wasn't the book that was bad, it was me. And in my pride and hubris, I just discounted the whole thing. Yeah. And now looking back, I see why that book's on the, the roster and why we use it, and I, that's why I keep it. So I think we all have. Yeah, I'm not saying that, that amen. That a ago. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying the amen earlier from a haughty perspective. I'm saying as someone who formerly this was me. This oh, like you're same. describing me. Yeah. yeah. And um, so another another maybe just practical thought there. Most churches are kind of going away from having a church library, but do you realize the ministry that a church library could be if someone was to take seriously the recommendations of those shelves. That it's, it's not just, you know, what we like or what we think is fun, but these are the books that our church should be reading. And uh, I think that would be, you know, as you're listening to this, if your church has that and you're like, well, but nobody really uses it, you know, nobody really knows where it's at. Maybe you could be the person who helps that be what it should be. I, th- I think a church library could be a very powerful tool in a ministry. And most of our churches just don't view it that way. Uh, mainly because a lot of people don't read the way they should. But so rule number two is that you should choose your books intentionally. And so uh, with, with a heavy leaning towards what the true origins, the, the classics, and certainly scripture. And so rule number three, he does a nice little play on words. So he says on the top of 150 to choose your books. And then on 151, next you must choose in your books. And what he's highlighting here is that not all portions of a book are as helpful as other portions. So if a book you pick off the the shelf is a good book, it's a title worth your time, not every chapter in that book is of equal value to the other chapters. I'm actually doing this right now. I'm telling you that this chapter of Sertéange is really good. And I said that kind of everything else is okay. That is what we need to do when we read. We need to understand that some portions are more valuable than others. So all books, and this is kind of an illustration he develops, are like a compass and they point you to truth. And so some books uh, are, are not as good of a compass as others. So some books are just good in their value to point you to the really good book. So someone talking about the Lord of the Rings cannot be a substitute for the Lord of the Rings. Me talking about Sertéange cannot be a replacement of Sertéange. So at some point, a book is just pointing you to something else. And so uh, part of reading would be to understand the real value of a book and what portions of that book really are genuinely helpful. And, you know, if it is just one chapter, take some good notes on it. You maybe don't need to keep it. Uh, A better book would be something where it more thoroughly points you to truth, or it would be, uh, you would be lacking to not have that resource as it interprets or points you to the other work. And so choosing in your books, there are portions of books that are not as valuable as other portions. And as you read, you should be cognizant of that. All right. And so uh, as a part of that, I think you need to understand what the books are trying to accomplish and and viewing reading like a conversation. You will likely not value a conversation if you misunderstand its purpose. So if you're trying to have a conversation with a friend or your spouse or a child or your pastor, and you think, well, the purpose they're talking to me is attacking me instead of they're helping me. Mm-hmm. you are probably going to react to them defensively, <clears throat> guarded, and you aren't going to receive. If you do that with a good book, you're going to miss the point. Yep. And so part of choosing the sections in your book is also, I think, really understanding what the author's trying to do 
and understanding, you know, is this a story? Is it a poem forming my emotions? Is it an essay presenting a very specific idea or thought? Is it a theological work that's trying to help me understand God to help me worship? You know, what parts of the book am I truly drawn to? And I'm, am I understanding them correctly from the basis of that author? Mm. So I think, you know, authorial intent comes in here. Where If you misunderstand the purpose, you're going to think a part of a book is more or less valuable than it actually is. And so did you have a thought, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of back on what you were talking. He just mentions books repeat one another, water one another down or contradict one another. Mm-hmm. And as a book seller at the bookstore, I mean, that's just the way that things really are. Yeah. So his point is, you know what, go back to the seminal thoughts that actually are the beginning ideas. So it's kind of, you know, we we kind of look at books and publishing with a bit of chronological snobbery where the newest is the best, but actually he's kind of pushing against that idea. The yes. books that you really need to read would be the seminal beginning books, of which now these current new books are often a repetition of those previous ideas. Two things. Number one, Tim, good job at quoting C.S. Lewis, the chronological snobbery there. One point for that. Two, do you remember, and I don't know if this was off air or in the interview with with Tim Challies, he mentioned he's done so many book reviews on like marriage books, for example, that he's like, it's hardly any of it is new anymore. He even commented on that. It's just, it's a lot of recycled thoughts. Right. So for him, when he finds something that actually is a new thought, meditating on something old, he thought that was very valuable. Mm -hmm. But I guess when you, you know, that's, that's his job, but it happens. It's very true. And that's not to diminish when there is a new book that really sheds light or understanding yeah. on a classic, oh, yeah. those become incredibly valuable too. Yep. But not everybody's commentary is really worth your time. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it, those are good points. And so the last thing we're going to get to, so rule number one was to read little. You have to understand you can't read everything. You don't want a passion for reading. You want to read intelligently. As an outworking of that, rule number two, you need to choose your books carefully And when you do choose a good book, you also need to choose in that book what's really most valuable to you, and you need to understand it on the author's footing. You need to really understand the conversation the author's having with you. Rule number four that he presents comes into play on page 152, and it's understanding the types of reading that you could be doing. Okay. And there's an (laughs) illustration that he just mentions in passing, but I want to build out a little bit more. And so imagine with me, you're standing at the edge of a river, okay? Or it could be any body of water. What are you there to do? Are you at the body of water to drink from it? Are you there at the body of water to be cleansed by it? To go Are fishing. you there to go swimming? To have some fun? To find your precious in the bottom. <laughs> yeah, to find the one <laughs> find, your, find your birthday present. Yeah, so... <laughs> The point Horrendous. is, good. it's all the same river, hmm. but why you're there changes what you're doing and oh, what you good. get out of it. That's really good. And so the book in the illustration is the water. And so as he thinks about the types of reading, why are we going to that water and what are we trying to get from it? So he identifies four types of reading. They are fundamental reading, accidental reading, stimulating reading or recreative reading, fun reading. So each of these constitute a different reason you're at the river. Fundamental reading is to read to become something. It is allowing the book to form you. It requires docility, so a very passive, humble nature. You are approaching the book to be changed by the book. You're allowing yourself to be stamped or persuaded by the book, which is why you need to be careful of what you read for formation. If you go to a book and let it form you, and it's not a good book to form you, you're going to be stamped with the wrong stamp. Okay? So for formative reading, you have to believe the author And you should not be coming to it with preconditioned criticisms or critiques. He does recognize on 153 that no author is truly infallible, uh, but so much less infallible is the pupil to the master. And so if you're going to something to learn, you must have a yielding spirit. One only knows what he lacks by estimating his worth. 
It's a quote that he has there. You should wow. have three or four trusted people or trusted books or authors that you really let form you in the different sciences of life. So you're not reading everybody. You're only reading some. And theologically or scientifically or whatever, whatever field, you should have very uh, a minor group of people that you really let form you as a book. And so in that illustration, the formation is to let the water change you. It's not using the water for anything else like fun or production. It's letting the water clean you. So the second type of reading is accidental reading. And this is reading that you do in view of a particular task. So you're going to a book to write about the book. So writing an essay or coming up with a hmm. blog post. In this illustration, you come with a cup or a pot and you're drawing from oh. the water. You're not getting cleansed from it. You're taking from it and doing something to it to reuse it. So it's an, it's an, uh, an exercise of mental mastery where you're, you're going to the book using it. You're not being formed by it. The third type is stimulating or edifying reading, reading to acquire a habit of work or a love of what is good. Uh, he highlights here that uh, edifying reading that's going to like, develop a skill, it, it sometimes isn't fun or super enjoyable. It's something that you have to do very earnestly. You have to stay to the task. And the example that I kind of thought of here was like theological study. Yeah. You know, or reading reading old theological authors, mm -hmm. a lot of times that's going to just be difficult. But if you really keep your you know nose to the ground, you you are going to acquire the skill of you know understanding the Word of God better. Um, he mentions here as you go to um, stimulating or edifying reading, or you, you're trying to acquire skills or or you know form a habit, you will get discouraged by it. And as a part of that same field, he says, so you should have some just favorite authors that always kind of spark you and you want to go back to them. But he would group all of that underneath of that stimulating or edifying uh, group. And then the last group's the easiest one, recreation. It's reading for fun. Uh, so you should have a liberty and a freedom to read what you enjoy that is not to you boring, something that is joyful. However, he says, when you recreate in your reading, you should read things that you like, something that doesn't excite you too much, that does not harm you in any way, and even when you seek that distraction is something that is building your intelligence and it is still pushing you forward in the life of the mind. So the, the phrase there, even in your recreation, you don't want your recreation to harm you in any way. So even in your fun reading, you should be careful with what you select. But so th those are the four types of reading. And so for stimulating and recre uh, recreation, that's like the swimming. Yeah. You know, like, oh man, I'm really tired. I don't want to do any work anymore. Well, let's go have some fun. Let let's huh. go do something that we've done before. You know, I, oh, I really like reading that guy and you're being stimulated by the water. You're not being formed. You're not drawing from it to produce. And then the last one is you're just out there, you know, f frolicking around, like, let's just have some fun. And so, um, so rule number four, which he never really says this. Yeah, what would you, what would, how would you say it? I would say I'm write that it in my book. If right you're here. going to read little, you're going to choose your books. You're going to choose in your books, and then once you've done that, you're going to determine the type of reading that you're doing. So you've chosen a good book, like the Song of Songs for Singles, which I have sitting in front of me from Books and Business earlier. Am I going to that book to be formed by the author, letting Tim and Angela form your thoughts? on intimacy from the Bible. I think that would be a worthy use of that book. Am I writing a paper about the Song of Songs? And so I'm going to it to draw from it, to put some quotes in my essay and present an idea or maybe bat an idea around. Maybe you're like Tim and you just really enjoy studying the song. So for him, studying a book like that could be fun or edifying. Part of learning to read well would be determining which one of those you're doing. Mm -hmm. So am I going for formation? Am I going for edification? Am I going for fun? Am I going to produce for production? And if you can identify that, you'll actually get more out of the books you read. So those are the four books, uh, four, or not four books. Those are the four types of reading. 
that section in Certeange, I think is incredibly helpful. It's worth your time considering. And uh, yeah, I know we don't have a lot of time here, but takeaway thoughts on that from you guys. I would just say that I think for me, I'm very thankful for what you just shared. I, I mean, I read this and I had some notes, but now listener, just here's, here's, here's what I'll t- a takeaway thought. What you couldn't see here is that me and Tim had our copies of Suryanj and Charlie was working through his. I'm literally underlining and taking notes. I captured everything he just said. Now I can go back and like meditate on that myself. And so this, this is how it worked for us when we would read through books and someone would come with some thought and it's a really good practice. So I really appreciated that. I appreciated your illustration. The last two distinctions, the edifying reading, I almost imagine it like the guy who's swimming laps to get stronger. Yeah. And then the relaxing reading is like the hot tub sitting around chilling or whatever, but that doesn't really work with the river. So maybe like you're just sitting there, you're tubing, well, you're, you're in a tube and you're going down the river or whatever. Every, every illustration breaks down at some point. But that's a really good illustration, man. I that like really he, good. He uses it like just in passing under like, I think number two, like you're drawing from the water. Oh, your development of it is really good and, though. But I think that's just a good, I like yeah. what you just said, swimming laps rather yes. than just swimming for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think you that'd be that. a good differentiator there. So it's cleansing, it's getting a cup to drink. It's swimming laps to strengthen yourself and then just frolicking. Or just tubing down the river. Tubing down the river. I, that is good. That's a really good illustration, man. Good job. Any thoughts? Oh, this is really good information as I think through as a professor and what I am doing uh, as a, on a regular basis. Um, and very little of it is level number one. However, as I think through my students, what type of reading they should often be doing is probably level number one, where they're reading with the expectation of that reading forming them. Because I'm recommending a book to them, and why am I recommending it to them? Because I want them to be formed by it. That doesn't mean, just like he says, you're going to agree with everything, but categorically, that's that's the point. But then these our students need to perceive and understand that when we have a writing project that they need to complete, they have to do a different kind of reading. Uh, so I think this is a really helpful information for our listeners and for our students to process through. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. I would say one last thing. So many times when I tried to become a reader, I got discouraged all through my years in college and seminary. And I think the first book that helped me was How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler, which I have that glorious copy you gifted me with all your notes. But the second book I would say is this one, because if you could take all those thoughts and give them to yourself when you're young and master them, it's going to undiscourage you while you're walking through all these books and it's going to open your mind up to ways to grow. So I just, thank you. This was a really helpful, really helpful, good thoughts, Charlie. And now having, I mentioned this a few weeks ago with books and business, I do think it's probably not something I'm going to read every year, but I do think it's going to be in the rotation of like every other year for me. Sure. Just be, there's a lot of other good things there, but man, uh, I really got a lot out of that section on, for me, what type of reading are you doing? Am I coming to this book to be formed by it or am I producing from it? And just even that distinction or I'm not producing, I'm just having fun. Like, Smith of Wooten Major. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm j- this is just something that's not going to yep. harm me, but it's going to mm-hmm. relax me and I'm still stimulating my mind mm-hmm. in a creative way. And so that was really good for me. As, I, as we continue to discuss and I continue to think about it, I also think through just how we read our Bibles and that what sh- how oh, yeah. should we be reading our Bibles? Well, Ooh, that's that, good. Level one. But can you read the Bible at level four? Uh, perhaps. I think you can. It's, it wouldn't be bad. And then sometimes we have students who are reading it more at level two, mm-hmm. uh, not because, not from the heart or perspective of belief, informative, but from the perspective of skepticism. And how as one who believes in seeking to understand, we, we can read at level two, but at the same time remembering that this is God's word and it should be formative. Whoosh. Let's have a meditation on Proverbs chapter two and the value of learning. So chapter two, verse one, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, 
Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek for it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. We have been talking about reading for the last 30, 40 minutes. And I know that growing up, I wasn't always interested in reading. I want to do more active things. And sometimes it is just challenging to make the time for reading. But one of the ways that you can grow in your walk with God is by reading what biblical and wise believers have said. And if you think about the very first verse of Proverbs chapter 2, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments. The word treasure there, I always thought it meant to value it. And it does. You should value it. But a better translation, in my opinion, is to store it up. And so the idea is that sometimes you're going to read things you don't need right then in life, but God's giving them to you so you have them later when you need them. And so the, here, you one of the things that you can do is learn skill at reading and make it a discipline. Um, Christians have always been called people of the book by our enemies. And that's because the word of God is words. And that's how God designed it. And so you don't have to become a reading aficionado. You don't have to be a bookworm. You don't have to have a reading nook in your home, though you should. But you do need to have a place where you sit down and read God's word and read good books that will shape your mind and shape your affections to love the things that are truly good. We hope this episode was a help to you, and we hope that you would consider reading more in your future. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.